New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 529. This is part three of our uh, 10-year anniversary episode. We can't probably call it an episode because it's three episodes, uh, but this is uh, the part where we're going to delve into really the future of, of technology, particularly with a New Zealand uh, bent. Uh, so very pleased to welcome back to the show, uh, Sarah Putt. Welcome, Sarah. Hello and welcome. Oh, well, and thank you for welcoming me. And I'm very excited again to be on the 10th anniversary uh, triple show. And you are representing? Um, I'm with CIO and Computer World. Thank you. Great to have you here. And Bill Bennett, back again. Yes, always good to be here, Paul. And I represent myself. And um, when it comes to the um, the Christmas Carol edition, I'm the ghost of pres- Christmas present. <laughs> We are going to um, we've we've had two episodes already focusing on the the past, the present, and now now it's time to delve uh, delve into the future a little bit. And this is an area where I love to be. You know, I, I don't know when it was that I sort of started, you know, trying to trying to figure out where we would be in the future. But it, it's been uh, been with me for a long time, and so I enjoy having these discussions and delving in. And I guess you know when I'm doing um, you know public speaking and keynotes and so on, um, you know I'm often asked to speak from that futurist perspective, and my my sort of simple view on it is that we all need to be futurists. We all need to wear this this hat of being you know strategic and forward looking. And, you know, for New Zealand to be a success, for our organisations to be a success, we can't get, you know, just completely caught up in the here and now, but we've got to be looking out ahead. So um, this episode is about a little bit of that. Now, we can't uh, cover everything and we certainly don't actually know what the future is going to hold, but we can uh, we can look at some of the indicators and, uh, and delve in a little bit. Um, now, first up, we have uh, a question that I think we're, I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear your viewpoints on, uh, and this is to do with what is and isn't a tech company and we've you know we've heard I guess over a number of years from all sorts of businesses that they are now tech companies um, ASB have said you know we're we're a tech company we just happen to deal with you know money and banking and so on um, and there are varying variations on this I remember speaking to the the CEO at uh, Ford in the US um, his his variant was we are a mobility company but it was all about the sort of you know uh, tech and so on, enabling them to change from being a, an automobile company. And at that stage, they were they were dealing uh, with uh, e-bikes that they were trying out. They were looking at you know multi-mode transport. You know, you could very much see that the threads of tech, you know, of, of information technology and and so on, were really uh, running through what they what they were doing. Um, and we've really seen this in lots and lots of different areas. So the the, the question is, should every company be a tech company. What's your thoughts, Bill? Well, the same question could apply to finance. Is every company a finance company? Because every company deals with finance. So I think, look, I, I tend to think in terms of what I would call a pure tech company. Now, Apple is a pure tech company, and IBM would be a pure tech company. Isn't Apple a marketing company? <sighs> <laughs> Possibly, yeah, yeah, okay. But, but my point is, is yeah, there are yeah. companies that are pure yeah. tech companies. Yeah, they, yeah, there's yeah, just, yeah. it's just unambiguous, right? Otherwise, it's applied tech, and it's like when you go back to high school. You know, you have pure maths and applied maths. Pure maths is one thing; applied maths is another thing. And I think it's that distinction. So, in the sense that, yeah, applied technology, sure, everyone's a tech company, but also it's a kind of it's, it's a kind of fashion thing. I mean, tech came of age and it became ubiquitous. But, you know, when I started out in this game, uh, reporting on it, it was a bit esoteric, a bit oddball and a bit out there. And um, geeky. Yeah, yeah. Well, not so much geeky, it's just strange. And... Um, um, and I, I mean, I fell into it because I had a, a science background, not a, not a technology background. Um, and they thought, ah, we've got a reporter who can write about science. He can go and do the tech stuff for us as well. Um, so I, I, I'm 
kind of, I mean, two minds about it, but I think we do need to distinguish between pure tech and applied tech companies, but in the, in the sense that you just mentioned, yeah, sure, we're all tech companies now. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So you've either, if you're a tech company like Apple, it's what you're selling, which is a tech-enabled device. It's a phone or it's a, you know, whatever. If you're if you're Ford, it's a car. So, you know, it's however you apply. But the way I think about tech is it's about a state of mind. So you've got to think like a tech company because what a tech company does when it's at its finest is at its best. And it's talking about the future and how things are going. So it's, it's ideas like... Uh, turning things around, thinking about it from a different direction. Think about how tech has changed just basic things, like how people think about CapEx and OPEX when they think about a SaaS well, program. Think about how you, how you imagine tech or, you know, how um, in terms of communication, it upends everything. Tech has upended every sector. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the, the one that gets me every time is when people tell me that Uber is a tech company. Well, no, Uber is a taxi firm which used the tech industry's venture capital model to get started. And and so so it's, it's a taxi firm, but it has elements, it's borrowed elements from the, the tech sector. But, you know, that's of course it has, because But, it, because but, it, but I, it's, it's, it's completely enabled by, te- by technology, like you know, wouldn't have been possible yeah. w- w- without technology. No, but neither but, would an airline. But, 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 but yeah, you're right. It's not. It's not a, a firm that's selling technology no. uh, to the audience. But but it, it, but it leverages technology to you know basically be a be a disruptive but, force. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here, which I think a lot of people watching this or hearing this are not gonna like, and it's this, right? It's fashionable to say we're a tech company, just as it's fashionable at the moment to say. We're agile, right? Now, sure, you you know those companies are in, are using agile techniques and so on. But agile was something that was you know originally started within the software business. It was a tech thing. It was a software industry thing, and it's uh, an idea which has permeated out. You know, it's moved out of the software space and has become a general idea throughout management. And I think in the same way that the, the attitudes of the tech sector have moved out of the tech sector and moved across all other businesses. But just because you're thinking like a tech person, just because you're running the show like it's a you know a tech business, doesn't make you. It doesn't make an airline into a tech company. It makes it's almost it into a it's tech how, how you make your money. If it's put, if it's ta- if it's taking okay. passengers yeah. around, is although I, can I just say on the Uber thing? If you ask most people what they love the most in terms of the people who use the Uber service, it's the seamless payment. It's the fact that you just get out of the cab at the end, out of the car at the end. So yeah, it's finance. So so yeah. so, and and possibly the you know the, this could be reframed a little bit and. Personally, I don't care, you know, what a, what we choose to call our organisations, whether they're you know businesses, non profits, and whether we label, oh, that's a that's a that's a tech business or you know a tech uh, non profit. What I guess maybe what I I was sort of thinking about is, you know, with that question, should every company be a a, a tech company? Is how important is tech? In you know our our future success, so how how much do we need to be, uh, you know whether we get labelled it or not, how much do we need to be, uh, you know leveraging you know what's possible with tech, um, you know some of the some of the new ideas in terms of the the ways that people work, whether it's an agile approach that's that's come through uh, the tech sector. To me, it seems that. Those organisations that decide to sort of you know sit back and say, well, we're going to operate as we've operated for the past ten, twenty, you know, thirty years, those are the organisations that are not likely to have great success over the long term. Whereas those who are open-minded to the possibilities that tech facilitates tend to be those that uh, are going to be around on the on the longer term. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think you're generally right. But I was thinking, what's the flip side of this, right? What are there any companies out there which have zero technology? Well, there probably are, right? I mean, I, I don't, I can't name one, but I'm sure there will be there will be proprietors and you know, business owners say, I'm not having any of that stuff in my company. I'm not going near it. Yeah, you know, we'll still do things the old way. There, there will be some that those people will probably die out. 
I mean, the fact that we don't ever hear of them tells, speaks volumes. Well, well, but even analog things like checks are, are harder and harder yeah, to do. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, you, everyone's being pushed. You're forced to to a degree, the, the but it's, where do you sit? Where do you sit on the, on the you know, on that on that continuum? I came across a, a firm recently that does I don't know, some sort of uh, metal type work, working with, with with different metals and steels and so on. And um, I'd driven past this particular uh, firm, and I thought, oh, you know, that's probably some old signage, and you know, so on. The, the sign, everything looked very old. And I was speaking to somebody who was saying, oh, this company's amazing. They built this this trolley thing for me that did blah blah, and and I was like, oh, that's you know, that that's really cool. Um, but you might not actually f- you know find them online. Now they're able to survive because of word of mouth like this. Yeah. That can, yeah. that can still uh, still work. And oh yeah, they're really cheap, and you know, etc. So there were there were these different aspects that you know help keep them going. Um, but if they were to start up that business today, yeah, well, that, that probably wouldn't work. That's on the same I was sort of basis. There are going to be some firms where being retro is their thing. Yeah, yeah. right. You yeah. Know. And that's and that's their selling point. And you know, the fact that they 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 do choose to do nothing. You know, nothing in the 21st century, perhaps nothing in the 20th century, is just their thing. And that's, you know. Well, you just think about how tech's completely changed entrepreneurship and enabled it for so many people. And all that idea, as you talk about Agile, and what's that Eric Rees book? Um, Lean Startup. Lean Startup. And you talk about your your MVPs and 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 your pivoting and all that kind of stuff. Well, you hear that language in other industries and other sectors now all the time. And that comes from tech. That comes from the tech industry. It does. I mean, the previous model for management was largely from the military actually I mean it, yep. um, it came out of the second world war and organizing Chain of command or yeah, 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 yeah exactly so it's so you know this it's, it's another it's a paradigm <laughs> and then we've got uh, we've, we've he's going to be ecosystem talking of uh, uh, acronyms uh, OKRs Who's familiar with oh, o- o- OKRs? Oh, which is really KPIs. Well, no, it's sort it's, of. It's, it's different. So um, objectives and key results, and this is what you know, came out of Intel and Andy Grove, and it's you know Google have hever, heavily sort of you know taken this particular approach. But anyway, we're probably going a little bit off track. But I guess my point, my, theory. <laughs> my, uh, my point with this sort of starting thing is is probably to sort of you know maybe maybe look to see if either of you would support. Me and and you know my view that uh, for New Zealand to to succeed and go forward that we 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 do need to be leveraging tech you know more and more so we need to be educated and and you know hence this podcast the New Zealand Business Podcast yes. a lot of that is around educating and and you know keeping us at the at at oh, the at the forefront on it, these things how how you apply it is incredibly important and you know whether you can apply it wisely or you can just chuck it out there <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, you can spend and, a lot of money going. Nowhere. And that—that's where I think uh, in New Zealand, we we probably bring a different viewpoint and a different flavour to how we think about technology. Yeah. We're you know, very creative uh, you know, people. We, we look at you know, what's been done in, uh, in the film industry, especially uh, the gaming industry. We're starting to see uh, you know, that come through and you sort of add in that you know, Kiwi ingenuity, number eight wire type you know, bits and pieces. There are some aspects of that that are good, some that aren't. And uh, you know, there, there are certainly some, you know, some some downsides to probably you know where we sit and distant in the world and and some of our thinking, but I think it in in general um, it seems to work quite well. And you know I'm I'm very very hopeful that we'll we will be able to uh, facilitate a lot more of these sort of weightless exports, you know, digital innovations coming out of New Zealand uh, that we can export you know to the globe off the back of you know this mindset and and a focus on leveraging the Technology, you know, using all of that thinking. Yeah, and it's the and the pure tech company is that hockey stick growth idea, isn't it? That you put all the money into the R and D. Once you've created the product and use a minimum viable product, you get it out there. It starts to to move. You know, you go down, and but then you start. You just incrementally. Make money, you know. You, you grow. Cost is into, almost into, zero, yeah. it's almost, the cost is almost zero. It's just sort of incremental improvement, but the revenue just takes off. That hockey stick growth, and 
that can be enabled by you know those independent software vendors. Independent software is, is really the key there. But here's, here's the thing: you, you you mentioned the number eight wire thing, and when I when I first came to New Zealand like 30, 35 years ago, that was that term was used everywhere, particularly in the tech sector, because I came here to, to a job editing the tech pages of a newspaper, and, it, and it, everywhere I went, I heard that term. Today. We're not that distant, really. I mean, thanks to fibre, you're mm. you know you're really not that distant mm. from the rest of the world. And um, I don't. I think we're losing that distance thing quite quite quickly. I mean, we we still have lots of stuff which is uniquely us, mm. but um, um, but I don't think that we're this sort of strange appendix down the the end of the world anymore. No, and and part of the reason for that, as you said, is fibre. So that sort of really is a, yeah. is a good sort of. Um, push for us to, to delve into a little bit our telecommunication sector, you know, how important that is for us. And, and look, you know, it underpins really our, our ability as a nation to to be successful on the global stage. Yeah. And I know we've you know, talked about this a little bit on the on the last uh, you know, episode or, or two, but I guess I'm keen to look forward a little bit. So you know, we're in this position. We've got um, you know the biggest telco, Spark and Vodafone, who have been you know, around for a uh, a long time, um, Vocus and and two degrees, sort of a, a, a step back from them. Um, we have the fibre uh, connectivity. I think, Bill, you were, you were reminding us on the last episode. It's end of next year. I think that it's uh, you know it's due to reach eighty seven percent of the of the population. We're well down the track on that. Um, there are other things in terms of the rural broadband initiative to to hit um, others, and then on top of that. That, uh, you know, landing actually not you know not too far away this year. In fact, I signed up for it last night um, just because I like to try these things out. Is Starlink, yeah. which is uh, you know Elon Musk and SpaceX's uh, you know new new satellite satellite based uh, internet. So there's some interesting things going on in that field. Where would you expect? Our telecommunications to to go over the next few years. Do, does the current do the current models work? Well, I think we're at a peak of some kind in the industry right now, and, and we're also at a, a kind of point of stability, which we have these rare moments of stability in the sector, and, it get, and then it goes and gets shaken up, but usually because a new technology has come along or something, you know, an external event of sorts. But we're we're kind of at a peak moment now. I mean, in terms of performance. Performance, our networks are as good as anywhere in the world. In the, some, some, if you look at some tables that are drawn by um, overseas organisations, we're number one in, in, in various areas, but we're certainly top ten in just about every every department. Um, and it's you know, it's very important for us as a nation, particularly because of that distance thing, and not just because we are distant from the world, but we're distant from each other within within the country as well. So. Um, so I think we're at some kind of peak. If we were to draw a graph right now, this would possibly be, as I say, uh, some kind of peak. Where's it all going? Well, the thing is, is it couldn't be more competitive than it is today. And there are arguments that it's too competitive and that, that it's so competitive that there's not enough revenue being generated to invest in you know, future technologies because the margins are so small that investors are not going to stump up for you know a billion dollars investment to build a new network when they can spend a billion dollars on housing and make twenty five percent. You know, it's, yeah, it's an interesting point. Although we did see an announcement from Vodafone this week, yes. albeit without numbers, but they're saying, look, you know, we we typically are spending hundreds of millions a year you know, investing back into telecommunications infrastructure, and that's just Vodafone, and they're saying, hey, we're, we're actually ramp, we're ramping yeah. it up at this time. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, that, that's just, you know, one one example. I think, as, I as think you Corus say, said it's going to spend one point something billion over yes. the next three years. They, they've yeah. just yeah. talked about that yeah. with the Commerce Commission yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the latest round of, you know, and, and, and that's a good point. Obviously, we've got this yeah. new regulatory regime coming in. I mean, they've got to do it for the next year and then it's apparently settled for the next 10 years as it, you know, once the rules get in place. I think what's going to be, what I'd really like to see in 10 years' time, if I look ahead to 2031, I'd like to not even think about telco, like the way I don't even think about electricity. And I think we're getting to that to that point. It we just can't. is. It just, yeah. It's just there. It's just turn it on and, you know, it, it happens and it works. One of the things that I think is from an industry perspective, and, and we talked, we've talked about this, is what's going to happen?
happen to those third players? I mean, Vogus is going up for sale. Um, apparently, yeah. it's going to be listed. That's when we're going to see the value of that. And then, of course, two degrees. I mean, that's got a big job ahead of it to kind of, kind of, is it going to keep up with this 5G race? Does it need to? Yes, absolutely, well, because people expect that kind of data experience. Yeah, and, and, and raising the finance for that is going to be tough. It's going to be really tough, especially with Huawei out of the picture, yeah, because which, Huawei, you know, really was the cheapest option. And it subsidised, it, it had vendor financing for exactly. two degrees in the past. Because it wanted to be in this country. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're right. I, I think the, um, I mean, for... As long as I've been writing about telecommunications in New Zealand, people have said there's a coming wave of consolidation. And you know what? There's actually more players today than there has been in the last 15 years. And soon Sky will be entering the market. And that's another player. And it's Albeit a retail end yeah, with focus. But, yeah, yep, but a totally. retail yep. so, so that, like I say, it's extremely competitive. I think the differentiator is going to be where the individual companies can add value. So the likes of Chorus and Enable and North Power and UFF, they'll, they'll, they will start to move into the background because they're, they're in effect the pipes and they're the infrastructure and there's a utility model, which is how the Commerce Commission views that level of, the, of, of things. So above that sits the layer, the retail layer. And it's all about how you can differentiate and how you can add value. And, you know, in some cases, you're, the value that you've added is where the cheapest. And that's pretty much the model that they've all yeah. chased. They can't all chase that model forever. It's it's just it means if if they all do, then no one makes any money. So everybody has to get a return on their investment, don't yeah. they? Um, yeah. Mm. And with this coming wave, because it's not just uh, SpaceX and Starlink that's going to be you know up in the sky. Now they're starting it. I think it's off the, maybe it was one hundred and sixty to one hundred eighty dollars a month yeah. here in New Zealand for their sort of uncapped uh, service. Now that's going to be really good outside. Of the cities now, I've signed up in the city just to just to try it out. Yeah. But you know, in general, that's going to work well in in those other locations. But if we put if we put five or ten years on this, and the and in fact, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I'm not sure how well he'd crunched the numbers, but his point was actually it doesn't cost that much. Why doesn't the government just you know buy buy a network of satellites in the in the sky? Now I, I can't see that would you know likely ever happen. Well, Australia you, did that um, with the NBA. So, yes, sort of. Yeah. I mean, with a with yeah. a with a you know earlier generation of of satellite tech. Um, but I'm kind of curious where where will we be from that competitive aspect if the cost comes down, which with technology it always does on satellite and and it's good enough for lots and lots of things I don't know how good it will it'll ultimately get but if you ended up um, as we have in the cities at the moment where you've got that compete between fiber which yes it's the best you know it's the best offering mm. for getting uh, you know connectivity to your home it's the most reliable it's the best performing um, but now we've got 4g and 5g competing and often uh, very very similar price points in fact you know in some cases the um, the mobile network connectivity is lower cost than than the fixed, and that's you know so they can you know win the market share, and then maybe we've got this dominant one or more global players also with their satellites up there. I mean, how would how would that impact things? I Could we be I in a position where you know you can get an incredible internet connection per head? You know, ten twenty dollars per you know per person that covers well, satellite technology. Everything. I think that the, the technology is probably not no, quite there to do it no. as I'm thinking. But in terms of certainly getting to homes, we could we could be in that position a decade out, possibly. I find that I would be really find that one very difficult. I cannot see how satellite technology could ever compete with fibre no, in I, terms of speeds and fees and, and all the rest in of terms it. Of latency. No, and latency, and you've got to also remember the applications. So if you're in the financial community, I mean, you, it's 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 second, it's milli 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 seconds. I mean, latency is so massively important. There's no way that I could see satellite ever ever well, competing with fibre. About using Zoom or Google Docs, if you're if you've Ex- got the, exactly. uh, uh, a very slow. I mean. It's, you've got a fast Well, the, the difference with this new satellite, and I'm, and I'm just sort of throwing this out there for the for discussion, because look, what we've got in terms of fibre is world class. As mm. I say, you can't directly compete with it in terms of delivering a better product. Not you know, not a, not at all. Um, but 
you know, the latency of it is is there on a similar basis to ADSL or VDSL. You know, you're talking 30 milliseconds well, that's, as, that's as the latency that we're hearing about, right? So about the, that is, is actually takes the traditional satellite connectivity latency out of the picture. So I guess this is something that we could spend a lot of time sort of del- del- well, delving I, I into think, it. I think the big issue with fibre, though, is going to be unbundling in 10 years. It doesn't matter now. It's just not possible in a GPON network. It's, not it's gonna. just... It, but it's but that's where the competition's going to lie if you can't continue to have a, a, a range of different providers that, out that, there. That, that would be the politics of it. I, I suspect, I, sus, I actually suspect, talk, going back to the satellite yeah. mobile and so on, right? The thing is, 87% of people can get fibre. Fibre's the gold standard. That's, yeah. but, you know, so, and, and it's not expensive. I mean, it's it's cheaper than we, we used to pay for um, our dial-up connections. Yeah, yeah I mean, mo- like most, I mean, probably 80% of the population would go for it yeah. if it wasn't for those with mobile networks that are that are well, tempting people with offerings and, and you know, possibly in some cases they're, they're you know, not, uh, well, um, you know, highlighting quite the differences, okay. but for some people it's actually just fine to well, go on a mobile yeah, well, exactly. connection. The performance isn't there, but that's that doesn't, as you say, that doesn't matter for a lot of people. The thing about the, thing about the mobile networks, the 4G, and there will be 5G before too much longer in, in terms of um, rural rural um, um, fixed wireless. It's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. It's just not as brilliant. And so for those, so what that means is it means that the people that are in the fibre areas and the, and the uh, fixed wireless areas are not going to, no, no none of those people are going to be left behind. The satellite means that even the other people aren't really going to be left behind. They're just going to have to pay a little bit more and get a slightly less brilliant service. Um, but it's, it's still way, way better than most of the world has at the moment. Mm. It's way, way better than we've had for all our history. It's way – everyone, in theory, everyone in New Zealand would be able to watch the uh, Rugby World Cup Uninterrupted through their broadband connection. Hold on, hold on. Then we're starting to get into Wi-Fi, which is is is, is probably the piece which actually needs, well, needs to be solved. Well, that, even, in the home. even yeah. that, even that is actually uh, changing fast. So we've got Wi-Fi six now. Next year there's Wi-Fi seven. It's Wi-Fi six is so much better than um, than the. Still, still not ubiquitous in the no. you know in the short term. That'll, that'll take and some time. The, but over ten years, because we're, we're sort of looking out, right? We we would have TV, some pretty put, high expectations. Put, put your TV on an Ethernet cable to the router. It's that easy. Well, look, that might work for you and me, Bill. But for the for the general public, yeah. I think you know wireless. So that was the big problem ten, ten, in ten, lockdown. Yeah, so yeah. Ten, ten, yeah. but ten years out. That's some, I think that's a, that's an issue that will be solved, right? We're yep. not going to have the same sorts of challenges, um, but we are still in a position today where you know virtually you know any business that wants its its people to be you know productive, if you've got fixed desks and so on, you don't say, oh yeah, it's all Wi-Fi. You're setting up new premises. You go and cable it because you want that reliability and you want the performance. But I, I'm certainly very hopeful that we'll see that one um, that one solved. Okay, we've got to keep moving. Um, I want to look at uh, blockchain now this is this is a, a term that gets kicked around we've we've talked about it it's always sort of a you know a, a mega trend topic it's a futurist topic um, but we're we're in this interesting point we're actually a decade or so in now since um, yeah Bitcoin appeared or but 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 over a, a decade now it'll be probably 11 12 years um, so the cryptocurrency thing we've had a whole podcast on it recently uh, you know delving into it for those that are that are really interested but there is an element now where that is starting to uh, you know really gain a footing from an investment perspective and um, Darcy Angaro who does the New Zealand everyday investor podcast he um, uh, I know, famously said that uh, those that are investing should look at putting a port, part of their portfolio into 
cryptocurrencies. And I think 5% was kind of the, the, you know, if you had to pick a number out of the year sort of thing and mm. everybody would be different. Um, you know, I remember that, that number. Maybe that was an example of what he does personally. Um, but that's, you know, I mean, that's still a very sort of edgy uh, viewpoint from, you know, from investment perspective. Possibly in part, again, as, as he's raised, that uh, investment advisors can't make any money off this stuff at the moment, generally, right? So there, there's a there's a, a general thing of oh, do this, do that. Yeah, buy property, of course, because you know we'll we'll uh, pass through and handle the, the mortgage piece or or whatever. Um, but there are people like Darcy who uh, you know probably take a bit of a broader view and a, li- a little bit more uh, you know futuristic in terms of their thinking. So. Um, now, Bill, before we started, you had some uh, some comments around you know regulation. So you know, will that come come to uh, an end with it? You know, maybe cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin being banned. The other aspect is, I guess, the sort of the broader view on blockchain. And there's quite a bit of work going on you know, here in New Zealand um, on building you know business around um, you know the blockchain. Yet we have yet to see those sort of you know magical businesses that are oh you can't believe this company and and it's all based on on blockchain most of those blockchain things uh, that we hear about that might sound sort of fascinating and oh yes that could be the future or, or they're but, part of an enterprise rollout or, or they're part yeah. of an or, yeah but we're yet to sort yeah. of see wow look you know that's the that's the new uber that's the new google or anything like that that um, you know is is heavily reliant um, on blockchain so i'm i'm still really curious whether that's yeah, whether we're actually going to you know hit hit that point. Well, they're good at their hype, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and and look, there's a, there's a there's an aspect to um, to that where um, a lot of these companies have. You know, raised raised money through, uh, you know, having their own cryptocurrency, and and you know we've got that in New Zealand where you know a lot of business that's happening now was you know funded, um, you know, from a, a craze and an interest in in cryptocurrencies, um, you know, a few years prior, and we're kind of in that phase again where there's a lot of it, you know, a lot of excitement. It, you're absolutely right. Like two or three years ago, it was very much in the in the consciousness. People were talking yeah. cryptocurrencies were the thing. You know, people were creating their own and all that kind of stuff. Um, but really, I mean, the poster child, the the one is Bitcoin. I mean that. But it's almost like you've got to go blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Bitcoin's yeah. its own kind of category, really. And and it's a problem. I mean, it's it's not sustainable in terms of the energy that it's using. I mean, I know that it's debatable about how much energy it actually uses. I know there are different yeah. estimates. Uh, I saw one from Bloomberg, which is... You know, not necessarily, not necessarily the, the the last word in these things, which said that at the moment Bitcoin uses roughly the same amount of energy each year as Italy. That's not the same amount of electricity. That's the same amount of as all of Italy's energy consumption. And Italy, I think, is the seventh biggest economy in the world, or something like that. So, it so if it was an if it was an economy, it would be like the seventh biggest user of electricity. I don't know. I mean, that, that may or, that may, the numbers may or may not be spurious. Even if that number, even if it was half that number or a quarter of that number, it's still a huge amount of power. And yet, here we are in a world where everyone's talking about being carbon neutral. And there are people who are make a big song and dance about how carbon neutral they are. Who then invest in Bitcoin? So, so bring all the mining uh, to places like New Zealand, where we, you know, predominantly using yeah. uh, renewable energy. Oh, yeah. That that said, look, I, th- you know, we've got a range of cryptocurrencies. Some of them are much more uh, power efficient yeah, yeah, than, than yeah. others. So. Yeah, if that continues to be an issue, then I imagine that they will. They will. You know, that, that's something that can be addressed. Although, um, you well, know, it's, it's fair I, to say, I, Bitcoin. Yeah, well, Bitcoin it's Italy yeah. at the moment, right? But yeah. it's projected to reach to become the world's number one consumer of electricity by you know some other year in the future. Now, as I say, that's you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of. Uh, leeway in that, in that, but that's not the point. The point is not whether Bloomberg's numbers or anyone else's numbers are correct. The point is, is it you chews up a huge amount of resources, and it's probably more than it's worth to the, to us as a you know 
the value of the resources it's choosing is probably more than the value of Bitcoin to us as a thing. So that's that's where I was coming from with that. And it may be not now, but at some point that's will we'll, that will start to become something that's really great. Where for heaven's sake, you know, we're 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 hearing everyone now talking about being carbon neutral and, and, and so on. It's it's number one topic. Bitcoin can't can't exist in a vacuum without that, you know. But it is it is it is an unusual and special and kind of its own yeah. category. It's yeah. but blockchain is a, a different beast, yes. really. I know they're based on the same thing, yeah. but blockchain and where it goes is, is is to your point, Paul, was totally hyped. I mean, every so often, every two or three years, it's the next best thing. I mean, haven't we all sat in in, in events going, okay, so how would you apply that and what does that look like? And it's never really taken gone anywhere. But I do think. It's being used in a lot of different applications, like around supply chain and yeah. all those kinds of things. And I think that's where it's going to sit. I think that's the level of blockchain, making things more efficient, ma- making keeping things accountable, knowing where things are. Th- those real basic questions, which you need to in a more complex um World, you know, and when people like a retailer isn't just you don't just have a shop front, you don't just have a website, you sell through all these multiple channels. Something's got to keep up with that. I think, I think, I think you're right. But the thing about blockchain is, as you, as you say, is is it's massive. It's hyped out of all proportion. And this, oddly enough, is an aspect of what we were talking about right at the start of this podcast when we were talking about how everything is tech now and how everyone yeah. uses tech, the tech approach to things. Well, one of the things that tech has done throughout history is massively overhyped. You know, it's, every- <laughs> it's great at PR. Yeah. So yeah. Talk, talking of uh, of overhyping, over ten years out, autonomous cars. Yes or no, Sarah Park in, okay. New, in New Zealand, would you expect there to be an autonomous vehicle that you could? Um, Jump into it now. I'm asking this question because last night uh, Greg from my team decided to uh, drive to Wellington through mm-hmm. the night, and I was quite worried about him. I you know called him very late. Are you still awake? What's you know what's happening and etc. Would you be able to do say in Auckland to Wellington or uh, Invercargill to Christchurch or whatever, and fall asleep in a vehicle? Do you think we could a have the technology that could do that safer than a human driver? And B, would it be legal? Okay, I think if I'm looking 10 years out, I wouldn't be looking long distance. I'd be looking in the cities. I'd say that the cities that you'd have a certain area, like a CBD type area, and ordinary vehicles, people, individual vehicles would be outside that perimeter. And inside is where you'd you'd have the autonomous cars. So that you'd have almost like a network. So you'd drive to the perimeter and then while you're in those urban areas, because that takes care of all sorts of things. It takes care of that sustainable ability argument. It's good, better for the environment. It's a way of, of, of dealing with traffic congestion, that kind of thing. I can't, I don't think it would be efficient to have an autonomous car that would take you from uh, Auckland to Wellington. There's other ways of, of tackling long haul um, travel outside of autonomous cars. Yeah, I guess that's that's an example rather than that that's necessarily yeah, so the, I do, the, the I, need. I, I would like to see, I mean, I kind of see that whole, when you look at the electric scooters, micro-mobility, mm. I almost see that as a start. Yes. It, and, it's, and it would involve a massive, I mean, it's not just about the tech here, it's about the, the, the willingness of local councils and city councils and people and ratepayers to understand the infrastructure. You've got to stop, we've got to stop building car parks, for goodness sake, and we've got to start thinking about about how we can create car-less environments, which might be filled with some kind well, of autonomous Well, that's pretty much happening vehicle. now. You found that trying to come to the studio today because, you know, the, the, our part of the city it's has been disrupted. Yeah. Our two-lane street has been converted to, you know, basically a, a one-way. Yeah. Um, and we've got a cycleway filling up the other half of it. So we're, we're very much on, on that journey. Now, whether we're too early or too late and so on, there's all you've sorts got, of debate. But you've got to make it seamless. You've got to make it really easy. You know, you've got to make it easy to jump out of your car and jump on and know that you can get where you need to go at the right time. So I I personally would like to see it as an urban solution rather than a long distance solution. Do I think it's going to happen in 10 years? Oh, it's a lot. It's going to be hard to get people out of their cars. What do you think, Bill, on the autonomous front? Um, the t- I think- the, can, the tech, can the tech deliver, could it deliver safely in 10 years? 
I think there needs to be a, there needs to be a level of breakthrough which we're not seeing yet for that to happen is the first thing. The second thing is is that you could have asked the question ten years ago, and if you did, if you drew a straight line projection ten years ago, you'd have said yeah sure in you know in twenty twenty one we'll be doing it because what it looked like 10 years ago was that we were on that trajectory and you know what the trajectory has soared and it's flattened out it's it's plateaued and and development in in um, autonomous cars has plateaued a lot of the investment money has gone out of that sector because then because the vcs who you know we're back to the tech investment model they're not seeing their return on their money fast enough so and i, and I think they stepped out of that didn't they they sorry, sold yeah. off their, their and autonomous they their uh, and, I, and i think that that is that is the clue that they don't think we're going to be doing that in 10 years time right so but that doesn't mean we won't it means that we're it means that these things evolve in ways that are not they're not smooth curves they're not straight lines they're step changes and, and i know that's a i know that's a tech industry cliche to talk about step changes but we need probably two or three step changes to get to that point and they can happen tomorrow or they might happen in nine years time or they might happen in 25 years time we just don't know yeah so so the, so the thing is, is it sounds like i'm saying i don't the answer is i don't know but well, none of it none of us do know no but we don't no. do you know we what i would i would really know. like to see between auckland wellington as a hyperloop if we think about elon musk well that that would be a, that then would you, that would be a lot of money yeah um, that would be a huge amount but kind of interesting yes or even no. or even like a, a, a european style tgv train would be good and look on this topic i think you you probably both know where I sit as you know a person who's uh, invested. Invest. I don't know if that's the right word for buying a car. Um, I've you know purchased a Tesla so that I you know so I can get a feel for where the technology is at because that's really the only way to sort of yeah. test a semi-autonomous technology. And and I mean I use the the. Um, whatever you want to call it, driver assist technology or what have you, you know, every day, wherever I'm driving. Um, but it is a number of steps away, uh, you know, using, using you know, Bill's sort of um, terminology in terms of when I would have, uh, you know, a confidence or for the technology actually be able to do it to do um, a drive like that. Now, interestingly enough, the the out of the city part works very, very well. And I remember when I first uh, tried out uh, Tesla's um, uh, Tesla on the motorway using their sort of tech, probably a month or two before um, before my Model Three arrived, and I remember being on the motorway f- between uh, Hamilton and Auckland, and it's on the motorway where. It's actually it's it's reasonably easy, and it can take you from you know an on ramp to off ramp with varying changes and lane changes and all these sorts of things. And where I feel that it's safest, if you were to fall asleep in a vehicle in New Zealand on the motorway, that's often something where you know people don't come out of yeah, it too what well. About on State Highway Three. Well, there yeah we've, <laughs> we've we've got varying roads, but what I found in that uh, Hamilton to Auckland run was there was a whole lot of roadworks and there were these sort of cones marking out go this way, go that d- way, d- and it just and it and it just handled it. <laughs> um, it it does still want you to put your hands on the wheel, Sarah. So you weren't so, sitting in the back. <laughs> so, but. Ten, 10 years, um, if there was some equation to work out when Elon Musk says that's three months away, that's six, that's 12 months away, and then a multiplier to that, um, the, a rule that we could use. But unfortunately, it's not consistent. So if yeah. Elon says it's a, a, a month away, um, it could be six or 12. If he says it's a year away, you know, you just, you just don't know. Um, that said, the current um, beta versions that they've got in the US uh, do an incredibly good job of driving around a city yep. and Kansas, get it, you know, yeah. getting you from, you know, from your home to, you know, your office and, you know, giving way to other traffic and figuring out stop signs and traffic lights. And uh, even one I saw, there was a, you know, a police uh, person who was, you know, directing traffic and, um, you know, this, the car managed to sort of navigate that. Now that was maybe more luck than anything else. 
Uh, but anyway, that's I'm I'm fascinated to see how that will evolve, and then what that actually ends up meaning for society if people that maybe haven't been able to get around very easily yeah. in the past can then do so for you know very very small amounts of money. Which yeah, we've seen Uber facilitate uh, you know transport for people who in the past maybe would have never caught a taxi, but an Uber you know journey with the technology has helped bring those costs. Down. Oh, I think it's gonna. I think the way it'll work out is one day we'll wake up and it's here, right? And it's it, it'll be like that too. It, like electric scooters. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we did. We woke up one day and suddenly we were electric that, scooters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were, yeah, that's true. It yeah. did happen quite yeah. fast, yeah. but it hasn't kind of moved on from where it was two years ago when it, when it entered the no. country. So I think I think I, I I guess that in a way the promise of autonomous cars and the electric cars and the sustainability argument works really well in an urban setting. But to your point, I mean, if it can. If it's easier to, to, to go in a straight line on a motorway, um, you know, makes sense. But I think it's got to be, it's got to, it's got, you've got to have self-driving cars that most people who are driving now would want to, would want to be in. And, and as soon as there's an accident, as soon as there's a, a fatality or whatever, it feels like everything gets pulled back another six months. Now... Two more topics that I really want to sort of delve into. One is is really associated with with globalisation and the really big, I'm going to call them tech companies just to wind you up, Bill, the really big tech companies um, that may not necessarily be tech companies um, and quantum computing. So, Bill, you've got some some opinions on quantum computing. Uh, most, Most of us have very little knowledge of quantum computing. It's more a, a buzzword that gets thrown around. For those sort of watching closely, um, there's been a lot of development going on and a lot of you know effort from the Googles and uh, Microsofts, uh, varying you know universities, uh, IBM. There's there's actually you know some some impressive stuff going on behind the scenes here. But yeah. it's a really complex space, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, is the killer is. is Suddenly, and we're talking. And when I say suddenly, I mean in the last two years. But it is sudden because the idea of quantum computers has been around forty years, mm-hmm. right? And and um, it was first mooted forty years ago. But in the last two years, suddenly there's a huge amount of venture capital gone into developing um, quantum computers. And there's also some of the biggest names in tech are involved, like Google. I mean, IBM's had a, a long project in there, and there are some companies that sort of. Are from the past, like Honeywell, you know, which mm. most of us have forgotten about. They're big in quantum computing. Um, the thing about quantum computing is that it's not the same as – I mean, to say it's not the same as everyday computing is trite, but it's it's not even on a par. It's, it's, it's highly specialized. The applications of the technology are very highly specialized. It's brilliant if you want to investigate, say, molecules or uh, you want to plan how to build a new drug, design a new drug or something. It can do that sort of thing quite well. It's, it's reasonably good at um, – um, some other tasks, but there's a lot of things that it's just not designed to do at all. That's the first thing. The second thing is is that it's not really reliable yet. There's not enough reliability in the mach- in the machines that have been shown so far, and it's possible there are there are some theoretical f- physicists who say that that's inherent that it's not going to be reliable. That you know you're going to have to accept that. There will be. A, there's always going to be a degree of uncertainty, which is an interesting word to use when we're talking about quantum. Um, it's interesting to mention reliability because, you know, uh, earlier on in the week, um, in fact, this will be released uh, these episodes a few days apart. Um, but in episode five twenty seven, we were delving into the ENIAC and these early yeah. computers, and of course, I mean, they had well, you know major challenges with mm, with reliability because uh, bits yeah. would be failing every single day. Yeah, but here's and. and and it's incredible that you should mention that because when I was thinking about this, driving in, I was thinking the the third thing I was going to say about quantum computers is is when you program a digital computer, right? We you know we've all got a bit of an idea about how that works, right? When you program a quantum computer, 
it's a bit like ENIAC where people have to walk around the back of the machine and twist dials and move sliders and you know tighten things up and so on. It's in other words, setting up a problem on a quantum computer isn't like it's not like entering a few lines of code. It's there's more to it than that. So they're quite complex to to use, and it's the the knowledge needed to get anything out of them is highly specialized too. So I think I think the thing is is that they hold a huge amount of promise, but we're not there yet. It's still in theoretical land. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and once again, it's it's the sort of thing that there could be a breakthrough any day which changes that right it's possible now mm. we need we need to move on because we're not yep. going to do a, a two-hour uh, episode today <laughs> oh. and look we're, we're trying to cover a lot of ground we're, we're trying to talk, you about, know, the talk about the future yeah. and there are there's look just so many different aspects but one area that you know really i guess has has held my attention and uh really got me thinking a lot over over this last 10 years with the new zealand tech podcast um is what's happening on a global basis these big organizations and you know we've seen the rise of the likes of you know facebook and you know the varying other sort of social media um you know platforms snapchat twitter now clubhouse um we've got Google just completely in, in such a dominant position in terms of in their role uh, from a search perspective, uh, Google News uh, portion, their um, involvement in um, you know, I guess a, a range of areas, but a lot a lot of that heavily focused on uh, on search, but the other areas that they're in, uh, Amazon. Microsoft, Netflix, these these big global players, and there are probably two, two things that I'm I'm keen to hear hear thoughts on. Um, you know, one is around regulation, and we've just started to see a a, you know, a bit more going on in terms of regulating these players. Australia, uh, you know, have have put this this pressure onto uh, Google, who who reacted very strongly a, f- a few weeks ago, and then came to the party and said, "Yes, we'll comply with the uh, the regulations, and and we'll pay for the news content that we feature." Uh, Facebook have have uh, probably maybe emulated uh, Google's initial response in some ways, rather than saying we're going to pull out of the market completely, which is what Google said for a day or two, a few days. Uh, Facebook have basically just blocked all news, you know, news content. So they're very much, I, I personally think, you know, taking what looks like a very arrogant approach. Um, I might be, I might be. You know, wrong about their uh, what you know why they've decided to to do that um, because it is debated in terms of well how good is this re- you know how good is the law and is it actually balanced and fair and and is it actually going to work um, so there's that sort of side the the, the regulatory um, side um, and and then the the other aspect is this this whole globalization and ability for for instance a company like Amazon to move into a market and we to to be fair, with Amazon, we haven't yet seen a, a, a complete sort of mega dominance in any other market, um, other than you know the US. You know, from from what I can see, um, but they've got such deep pockets and they've been so successful. Um, you can imagine if they decided, look, we want to own e-commerce supermarkets, etc., in New Zealand, they could afford to sort of walk in and and you know stomp on on you know local entities through acquisition, uh, through doing their own things and just pouring in lots of money. Um, so there, there's these two aspects, and I think you know potentially regulation needs to needs to come into both. What are your thoughts, Sarah? Well, I think just on the Amazon thing, I think that was the fear in Australia two years ago when they came into the Australian market and didn't really come through because it's just very very difficult to build a, a commerce um, an, an e-commerce type um, experience that is local and can deliver in a day and all the rest of it. But, but surely that comes down to how much they're willing to invest. So if they were serious but about... But it's been incremental. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been slow and incremental, it's hasn't been, it? It has. It hasn't been the big fear to the local players. Where, Where Amazon, would it be in a decade, though? Well, I think that in... And, and that's interesting because why would you come into the New Zealand market anyway? You know, it's they're, they're not in a rush. And, and that's a 
building supermarkets and building um, uh, no fulfillment stores is a more a better way of saying it. So you can fulfill e-commerce and and your plan within a few hours is really quite a difficult and expensive operation. Where they're dominant is AWS, is, is, is Amazon Web Services. I mean that's the really interesting play from Amazon in this part of the market. And at the moment, according to IDC figures, we're only about half. We're we're like quite a, a slow market to to adopt public cloud compared to other um, countries. And we know that Amazon is just about half of public cloud in terms of the market. And then but Microsoft's the number, the number two and then Google very small number three. So you have to see that as, as really where their dominance is lying. And, there's, and they're coming in and they're, and they're sort of competing with local players on that and that world, the data comms, mm-hmm. those sorts of people. So yes, that that is one side of things. Regulation is actually really interesting because how do you regulate these multinationals and whether and they're countries. social media, whether they're you know, content what, providers they like Netflix or, or you know, e-commerce. And, and we know that, you know, in terms of respecting local laws around, you know, even um, name suppression and courts and things like that, it's it's much harder to regulate that when you've got international players in your market. However, I think the Australian law, which is basically this idea that Google and Facebook need to compensate news news um, uh, companies for linking for people linking to their sites is a very troublesome and difficult law because it's basically in and it's very uh, you know black and white situation is it's basically. Um, c- favouring one traditional business model over another. Now, Google and Facebook are quite different. I mean, obviously, Google's caved to a certain extent. It said, okay, we will we will work for you. We, we had that big threat two or three weeks ago. They haven't come through. They probably played a better game in terms of PR, whereas Facebook's today has just ripped it out. Yesterday just said, no, nah, we're not going to let you link. It's causing all sorts of issues. They didn't even get it sorted. They yeah. actually blocked government websites. But having which said could, that... Which could be part of their play. It's a different... It's a different Although they've said publicly that that was a mistake, they just didn't get it right. I mean, I imagine it was a bit of a blunt instrument. But in the the law, the is just being debated now. I think that the issue there is that Facebook's different because people voluntarily put links in there. They're not they're not linking as a matter of course to these newspapers unless the news sites are uh, they have some sort of mechanism through which they can. If they're so concerned about being on Facebook, why don't they just ask to be removed? Instead, they they can see and Facebook would say that. The newspapers, the news organisations, have been benefiting from what Facebook has been, the traffic they've been sending. The newspapers, on the other hand, are saying you're benefiting from the free content we're giving you. I think that, and what will happen if this law comes through, and Facebook, if they, you know, cave into it, is that the money will go to the the news organisations. Now, the biggest issue in terms of finance with multinationals in your country is they don't pay the tax. That money should be going for the people of Australia in compensation for the money that they're taking out of them. And I think that's where these big companies need they need to really start is that, you know, we need to see more movement on making sure that they pay their fair, tar- uh, fair okay. share of tax. Yep, I, I, I hear that and there's possibly even a, an angle to say, well, this is the way they do it actually by putting other mechanisms in, so, in place that will bring some money back into the country. Now, we have to finish up, but Bill, I want to give you the last word on, on this before we close. I, I want to say one thing about Facebook and then, say, and then talk about some, this subject more generally, if that's okay. Facebook, Two minutes. Sorry? Two minutes. Okay, with Facebook, right, it's a bad law and Facebook is a bad, bad company, but actually Facebook is right. It is breaking the internet and I hate to be Facebook's defender here because there's so much wrong with that organisation, but in this case, they're right. I agree. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that the way Facebook reacted is a very worrying sign about these big tech companies as they're starting to throw their weight around with sovereign governments. And that's not a good sign. And if Facebook does it, Amazon can do it, and Google can do it, and Netflix, you know, they can all do this sort of thing where they throw their weight around and they start saying, stuff you, we're going to do it our way, you know, you, you just don't matter anymore. Well, in we, many cases, they're worth more than a, a yeah. lot of countries' and they're economies. More pow- they're more powerful. And, and, we've, and we should never have allowed, uh, governments in every country should never have allowed that level of dominance and monopolistic behaviour. And it's, there's been, there's a long history of antitrust and anti, you know, and, and pro-competition policy. 
And it just hasn't worked with these companies. And part of that is because America, and it is America, has been blind to that for about the last 25 years for purely ideological reasons. And now we're in a position where these companies are getting out of their tree and starting to throw their weight around. But the American government, there there have been moves to yeah. – to, to, and that's and I agree, that's where it's got to yeah. stay. But there's also alliances that can be done. And, and company yeah. – you know, remember Ireland always giving Apple a free run. You know, you've got to stop stuff like that, which the European Union – Yeah, well, the European done. Union is a, a possible counter. And, yes. and, and we haven't – and I'm just going to say one last thing before we wrap up. Right. We've had all that discussion without mentioning China. Right. Oh, um, and that's a whole yeah. Yeah. other and that's episode. A whole episode. Yeah. And I think there's going to be a lot more topics that sort of we've, we've, we've yeah. probably yeah. you know touched on today, haven't had time to squeeze yeah. into the agenda. Um, and what we will do with the New Zealand Tech Podcast going forward is we're going to do more of these sorts of sessions, more panel-type uh, discussions on, on different subjects, different parts of the economy, uh, different areas of, of tech. Um, anyone wants to share sort of feedback on where you would like to see the show go, um, then get in touch. Uh, we are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, and we have a survey form up on uh, nztechpodcast.com slash survey. So thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, thank you Sarah Putt, Bill Bennett. Thanks Paul. Uh, really appreciate having you on these, uh, these three episodes and we'll catch you again on another episode very soon. Thank you. Kia ora. New Zealand's tech podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.